Hello and welcome to my eighth podcast. Yes, we're up to number eight already. And surprisingly, I haven't yet run out of things to talk about or people to talk to. Next week, my interviewee will be Stephen Fry. This week, it's someone widely regarded as one of the shrewdest analysts of BBC finances and strategy, someone who really knows how serious the Beeb's financial situation is. We estimate that three million households have already abandoned the licence fee, and that is a trend which will increase in the course of the coming months as people have to make really hard decisions. More from Alice Sanders in a moment. The most recent evidence of the corporation's financial straitjacket are the cuts to local radio, and the difficulties of deciding what to cut is evident in the continuing outcry at the announcement made last week, not least in Parliament. On Thursday, the chair of the Commons Culture Select Committee announced that on December the 1st he would be inviting or should we say telling, BBC executives to come in front of the committee for what will surely be a grilling. These local radio changes, which have so upset MPs and many others, will result in the closure of about 48 staff posts, with the BBC explaining it wants to transfer resources to digital content. All 39 stations in England will keep their current schedule from 6am to 2pm, but after that it will in effect become regional, not local as shows will be shared, and after 10pm across the week and on Sunday afternoons, regional becomes national, when all the stations carry one all-England show. After last week's programme, in which a National Union of Journalists representative discussed the cuts, we received this email. Hello, Roger. I'm Will Jenkins, a former BBC producer and manager. I wanted to add comment to your contributor from the NUJ about the proposed cuts to BBC Local Radio. He spoke about the loyalty of the older audience, etc., but he clearly wasn't across the reality of several recent RAJAR surveys because for many stations it really is getting desperate with the reach hitting rock bottom. Some stations, their reach has halved in 12 months. So my point is this. You don't attract more listeners by slashing your broadcast hours. You redouble your efforts to be even more local. Otherwise, the message that you send out is that listeners really don't matter and... Last one out, turn off the lights. The bean counters will be looking at the budgets for local radio and on a cost-per-listener basis, it is likely that BBC Local Radio is one of the most expensive parts of the corporation. So, get rid of more listeners, become less local, etc., and thus the BBC's approach will hasten the demise of local radio. Well, this week we've decided to delve into the financial challenges that the BBC faces when it makes these decisions, and I'm delighted to be joined by Alice Enders, the Director of Research at Enders Analysis. Thanks very much for joining us, Alice. Now, we've seen these cuts to local radio and, of course, earlier to the World Service, but presumably these are just the first of many. The BBC is currently facing a really tight financial position, which results from the combination of the licence fee freeze for two years until April 2024. And, of course, the cost of living crisis, which is increasing its energy costs, uh, which is, of course, uh, placing stress on its wages and salaries. And, of course, there's also been quite a lot of inflation in the costs of producing 
content. And unfortunately, I can't give you a specific figure on that inflation, but it is the result of competition in the UK market, you know, new entrants like Netflix. Uh, uh, we know that the pandemic as well had an impact in terms of increasing the costs of producing anything. And then, of course, there have been shortages of uh, studio technicians and all the rest of it. But we know that the BBC is facing choices right now in terms of what it does and how it does it as well. Does this mean that the broadcasting inflation, if you can call it like that, is running ahead of the general rate of inflation? So we're not just talking about maybe 10 11%. You might be talking about 15% in the increase in costs for those involved in making programmes. I think, as I say, I wish I had a figure, and I've been asked a figure many times, but and I've looked very closely about what we can say about that. But it is possible that certainly the cost of living crisis came after the existing inflation in the cost of producing content in the UK. So it's been going on for a while. Again, competition is a big factor in that, which is healthy for the creative sector. But of course, it means that the pressures have been palpable on the BBC in terms of those costs for some time prior to the licence fee freeze. And of course, now we've got the cost of living crisis. Now, if the BBC is assuming that once the two-year freeze is over, then the licence fee will go up at the rate of inflation, which still then could be around 10%. I mean, it would seem to me, watching from the outside, rather an optimistic assumption that any government, faced with the cuts it has to implement, is going to look favourably on broadcasting when it's got problems with the nurses about to go on strike and problems in education and problems everywhere else. So you'd have to plan, if you're running the BBC wouldn't you, for the possibility of an extended freeze of the licence fee? Well, my understanding, Roger, is that the existing agreement with the government provides for an increase uh, based on inflation. In short, it's not a treasury-level decision. And uh, the formula is already laid out. As you say, CPI in 2024 is unknown, but we are living through important increases in food costs and so on. We do expect inflation to come down markedly by 2024 just because of base effects. Energy costs cannot go through the roof <laughs> in 2023. They're already at the ceiling of the roof. <laughs> but there are other cost pressures in the economy. Food is a major one. And of course, we would all like the situation in Ukraine to resolve itself with an outbreak of peace. And that would have a material effect on bringing down energy costs. Some analysts uh, were earlier this year predicting, in fact, a period of deflation. But now, of course, people are more inclined to see uh, perhaps a 6% uh, CPI figure kind of emerging in April 2024. 
I think the challenge for the BBC is to enact a license fee increase at a time when household budgets are stretched. And we estimate that 3 million households have already abandoned the license fee. And that is a trend which will increase in the course of the coming months as people have to make really hard decisions. And the fact that the government has decriminalised this activity, if this continue in fleeing away from playing the licence fee continues, one doesn't anticipate a government, and certainly this government, taking a lot of action to stop that or to criminalise the non-payment of the licence fee. That would be unlikely, wouldn't it? I think you're right about that. I think uh, the criminalisation aspect is very controversial because, as you may recall, the BBC lost the funding for the plus 75 free TV licenses, bar those that are on a pension credit. And I think that sort of shone a light on criminalization. Obviously, uh, no one is going to drag a senior citizen through the courts and all that. I think the other issue is, of course, is that people forget the license fee is paid for access to free-to-air TV, not the BBC as such. People forget that and they say, well, I don't want to pay, I don't want to watch BBC, I don't like what they're showing, uh, they're too woke, they're too this, they're too that. And people forget that it's really free-to-air TV. Let's not forget that the BBC was behind Freeview and of course, innovated with iPlayer, leading the way in the market through these you know, technological developments. One forgets all that. It was a long time ago. But I think the question of the adherence to the license fee is critical. And the BBC is very conscious of the need to provide value for money to license fee payers and an increase may be seen as a way of delivering less to the license fee payer. So I think it's going to be a tricky sort of decision when it comes up in terms of what the BBC does. But as I say, I, my understanding is that it's already in the agreement, which, as you know, terminates in 2027. So that's where we're looking at. So we've got the licence fee until 2027, but a number of people, of course, say, well, subscription's an answer. If you start a new service and there's a price tag, you don't get the service until you pay the subscription. But if you're trying to get already existing services across the subscription, can you do that? And can you do it without saying to old-age pensioners or whatever, well, you once got this programme, we're taking them away from you? So the issue really comes back to Freeview. Free-to-air TV is here to stay. Free-to-air means free. (laughs) And that means you can't turn the BBC off. You would have to replace the TV technology and provide for what's referred to as conditional access. Conditional access being if you don't pay, you don't get access. Exactly. I think in the future, once all broadcasting off-spectrum and onto the internet then obviously these subscription models are feasible because Netflix has one, Disney Plus has one, but those services rely on the internet, which is 
a conditional access technology, you can have a paywall. I mean, many news publishers have paywalls. It is possible to do conditional access on the internet in a way it's not possible to do with the existing technology of delivery. And I think we need to think as well about listed events, for example, the late Queen's funeral, the Olympics. These are all aspects of that unconditional access to broadcast TV. So you would think it's politically impossible to say to people, we're going to take the BBC, put it entirely on a subscription service, so that when, for example, the monarch dies, you don't see the death of the monarch and the crowning of the new monarch unless you subscribe. Any government is going to find that very difficult, isn't it, to push? Well, uh, yes. The critical point is that the BBC has been at the centre of these broadcasts of national significance and importance. And that's the heart of public service broadcasting, and it is completely contrary to the subscription model. So people have batted around this subscription idea, but we say all the time it's not feasible or possible to replace the existing technology choice that we made, and many other countries in Europe made the same one, until really broadcasting ceases to be using the spectrum. And that's not till maybe 2035. So you're suggesting that, that there is a possibility that a licence fee, maybe licence fee plus subscription, a licence fee may well be in existence in 2035. Well, there are other ideas out there. For example, there was the household levy idea that it would be added to council tax bills. That idea came up earlier in the year in the Lords Committee review. But those all have the same sort of issue, which is that you have to find a mechanism to charge people and people don't pay the same council taxes all across the UK, but they do pay the same license fee, except for, you know, obviously those that are on pension credit. But I think there's just no obvious alternative solution, mainly because funding the BBC from, let's say, the government could, of course, fund the BBC, but that then risks politicizing the BBC in a way that many people would also find unacceptable. There's a lot of merit for having basically an independent BBC with its own funding mechanism, which doesn't rely on councils collecting it or the government funding the BBC. But I think this goes to the heart of the question of what role the BBC plays and will play in the future because we live in a world saturated by the internet and alternatives. Uh, Netflix, I mentioned, but of course, with respect to news itself, there's a cornucopia of news sources. However, over time, what we've seen is that that cornucopia is actually driving people to the BBC as a source of news because it's a known and trusted brand for news and entertainment. 
So when you look at, uh, you put yourself in the Director General's shoes, a very <laughs> tough job, is looking at a shrinking income, a frozen licence fee, under pressure from a government that won't increase the licence fee easily. He's trying, as one gathers, to commercialise part of the operation, i.e. get BBC, the outright broadcasts and other things to work privately and commercially as well. So he's pushing on the external income he's got. Do you think they're also thinking about a basic service that they can provide from the licence fee and an additional service, a set of packages, of subscription packages, if you like, that people can say, well, we'll, you know, we'll have a basic service for everybody, but if you want this little extra, you pay this subscription fee, you can have it. Do you think they're discussing that? So I think it's possible to do that with the internet. Whether or not it's advisable for the BBC, for example, take Strictly Come Dancing off the air and put it onto the internet and say, you can watch it, but you have to pay for it. I don't think that kind of idea is a really solid idea because the BBC is a package. It's got entertainment. It's got news. It's the bundle. People don't channel surf and so on. So I see that as being difficult. Where the BBC is ramping up its efforts, as you said, is in the commercial area and also, I think, outside the UK it does not face the same constraint. Well, it could charge... It put advertising on, for example, if it wants to, or it can do these deals, for example, one with Disney, where effectively, it seems to me, it's saying in order to get the next series of Doctor Who to the standards they would like, essentially we're giving Disney all the rights outside the UK. That's right. And, of course, there's uh, the studios, a joint venture in the US... I think they're also looking at increasing the monetization of bbc.com, you know, outside the UK again. But these are not ideas that are going to fix the problem of the license fee in terms of the level of revenue that's involved here. So that is one of the reasons why the BBC has to be careful with its pennies and also its pounds And also, let's not forget that the BBC has historically adapted well to audience developments. That's not been true of all public service broadcasters uh, in its shoes. For example, in France, France Télévisions does not have an all-singing-and-dancing iPlayer functionality. So it has lost audiences in the transition to online consumption and entertainment. And so I think it's also important that the BBC needs to be ahead of the curve of its audiences, and that imposes investments. Delivering technology is expensive. You have to constantly update your apps. You have to constantly invest in improving the customer experience. You know, now we've got TikTok taking the world by storm. And so everybody's going, oh, it's the time, the era of the short video clip and all that. So there are all these audience uh, trends and shifts and so on that the BBC has to respond to, in particular, where they face a specific challenge is with young viewers. 
the BBC is diverting large amounts of resources to try and attract that audience and to find them wherever they are, taking it away from some services that older audiences particularly uh, like. Is there any real evidence that that strategy is being successful? I think it's a challenge for every broadcaster, whether you're the BBC, ITV, or even Channel 4, whose mission involves those specific audiences, young audiences. And viewing of live TV is in decline, even among the diehards, <laughs> people that are your age and my age. So it's really a difficult time. It's not just broadcasters. News publishers are facing the same issue. There's a disaffection uh, with news among the young. Live TV doesn't appeal to them, except, of course, if there's rugby <laughs> or the World Cup. And then they're there. Young people are there. Don't you worry. So this means that, the, in a way, the BBC has no choice but to go digital and to pursue those audiences, even though I can't see a great deal of evidence yet that those younger audiences even know they're watching a BBC programme on digital. You know, and the idea that if you get them on digital, in a sense, they will eventually go to terrestrial and to broadcasting, in a sense we've known it in the past, that's a big question. Is there any evidence to suggest that, that say, when you get to 35 and you maybe have children, you're in the home more, that you will start to watch more of, as it were, we might say, conventional television and conventional radio than you do at the moment? There is an argument that you will. CBeebies is, after all, a very major presence. We don't have any other dedicated children's programming. And, of course, the BBC has invested a lot in expanding its children's programming and offering to online tools, uh, educators, and so on. So I have to say there is evidence that once you, you have a family, you rediscover the BBC through children's programming and also because it remains an established behavior to gather the family, watch a program on TV after supper. These are habits that die hard in a family environment. Of course, those kids grow up very fast nowadays. They have their own devices. And there is a breakdown of that established pattern of behavior. But there is still evidence that the BBC is grabbing people uh, through, for example, its children's TV programming and entertainment programming more generally, yeah. So faced with this, the BBC obviously looks in the future, tries to make sure that it's giving itself sufficient options, increases the commercial income if it can. But then on the central question of what it provides for the licence fee, it looks as though these cuts that we talked about at the beginning, World Service and local radio, they're going to be more to come across the networks. I mean, the BBC is slimming down, isn't it, in that sense, and will have to continue. So do you think there are further significant cuts to come over the next two years? Well, I think this question of transition will be top of mind of Tim Davey for the foreseeable future because, as I mentioned, despite the likely increase in the level of the licence fee in 2024, 
there is a trend to a declining license fee base. And I think that's a very big challenge for the BBC. Because that inevitably means the income goes down, even if the license fee remains at the present level. If fewer people pay it, you're getting less revenue. Exactly. So you're facing decline, whatever is the case. And that poses a big question to me anyway, which is, if you're now cutting into the heart of public service broadcasting, and some people think they already are with local radio, which has become essentially regional and national radio after 2 o'clock in the afternoon, once you start to do things, it's not for the BBC alone to decide this. There has to be some form of public debate, discussion. Otherwise, people are forcibly paying the licence fee and seeing often the things they most care about taken away from them without any form of consultation. That's quite a strong feeling I had when I was printing feedback, listening to the audience. And I wonder whether the BBC itself realises it has to go out and make its case and engage much more with the public about these choices that it's having to make before it makes them. I happen to agree with you on that, Roger, because one of the odd things about the regulatory framework for the BBC is that it's subject to regulatory oversight now by Ofcom when it expands new services in a material way or introduces a new service that has a material impact. But it is not subject to oversight when it cuts services. And there is a, a gap there which is being filled by Parliament as you know, the local radio cuts have been taken up by a number of MPs that feel that this is another example of desertification. This is a leveling down uh, situation. They're very concerned. But it's after decisions been taken. They'll make a fuss. It might restrict in the future further cuts, but it won't reverse them. And presumably... Tim Daly now has, you know, at the top of the BBC, they've got a list of further cuts that they're going to implement over the next six to nine months without any significant public debate. We'll know when they happen, but we won't be consulted about what they should be. So I think this is where there's a question about the way the BBC operates because it is independent. It does have to make difficult choices I think the controversy over the local radio cuts is really that it was linked to an expansion in online services, particularly local media reporting capabilities, which the you know news media association is really up in arms about. So it's the linkage between losing something that many people including people our age, find vital, and then gaining something that actually has a commercial replacement, or at least that's what it appears to be. I think this comes down to the question of Parliament and its role, because it is not a great situation for the BBC to invite the enmity of so many MPs, <laughs> because when you say local radio, you're talking everybody's constituency in England. 
And it's an easy win for an MP to ring up his local newspaper, whether it's a Tory, Labour or whatever, and say, this is scandalous, I support my local radio station, I think the BBC shouldn't do this, etc., etc., ignoring the wider question that everybody is complicit in a gradually shrinking of the licence fee. It's an easy win. <laughs> no win. I also, my experience the BBC in elsewhere is that inevitably it's undervalued local radio throughout its existence because the BBC is fundamentally still a centralised organisation and local radio at the top table doesn't have and hasn't had many representatives. So I sometimes think the BBC at the top takes a decision about local radio and then is slightly shocked about the response, whereas if it had talked to Parliament and MPs more closely, it would realise it's a very difficult area to cut without uniting the opposition of Parliament to it. Uh I agree with you. I, I think this is a little curious, even, because, as I say, there's 40 local radio stations out there everywhere. And so one can make the argument for efficiency. They do often cover stories that are covered perhaps even better at the national level by other BBC services. You know, there is some argument that you could make the whole business more streamlined, more efficient, Perhaps one doesn't need to have uh, 40 local radio stations. One could have fewer. There are arguments of that kind that one can make. But the point is, is, is it's handling them effectively and anticipating the scale of opposition. It, it strikes one that the BBC sort of scored an own goal in this respect. So he said a lesson for the future, that more cuts are coming down the line but the organisation has to engage in a wider debate about it. It can't just say, we've taken this decision, there's a financial squeeze, this is what we've decided, go ahead. It must remain independent, but it needs to listen and consult more. Indeed. Uh, with Because all these people who listen to local radio do pay the licence fee, although you, know, you don't need a licence fee payment to uh, listen to radio... Uh, and they are the most important constituents the BBC has. They're the most devoted and dedicated BBC fans. And you don't really want to alienate the front row of your audiences. Alice Anders, thank you very much. You're welcome. And that's it for this week. Next week, as I mentioned, I'll be talking to the one and only Stephen Fry. So do let us know what questions you would like me to put to him by getting in touch on Twitter at BeebRoger, or you can send an email to roger at rogerboltonsbeebwatch.com. And remember, if you want us to stick around and remain ad-free, please do subscribe and support our podcast. You'll find the subscription link to Patreon on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform. And just to let you know, this broadcast was presented by me, not Lob. Well, that's what I was known at school. It is, of course, Bolton Backwards. And it was produced by Kate Dixon. The sound was by Clifton Bank Studios. It was a good egg production. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>